So we conclude the description of both the contractual and covenantal sides of the relationship between Hashem and the people that was established at the giving of the Torah, the relationship, the spiritual relationship, the mitzvot. The Torah now resumes the historical narrative from the end of Moshe's first days, first set of 40 days on Mount Sinai, which is pretty much what we read about at the end of Parshat Mishpatim. So when God finished speaking with Moshe on Mount Sinai, teaching him the outline of all the Torah's laws and the details of the laws, he gave him two tablets of testimony, which were the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. <clears throat> Each tablet was square, six handbreadths long, six handbreadths wide, and three handbreadths thick. First five commandments were engraved on the first tablet, second with the next five. Even though the tablets were exactly the same size and there were many more words on the first tablet, the size of the letters, the spacing between the letters, the spacing between the lines and the margins were miraculously all the same on both. But, meanwhile, the people had miscalculated the 40 days. They counted the day that Moshe ascended the mountain as the first day, even though it was not a complete day, while Moshe said, or meant rather, 40 full days. So on the 16th of Tammuz, which they thought they were the 40th day, they saw that Moshe was delaying in coming down from the mountain. Furthermore, the Satan made the weather unnaturally overcast and gloomy. The people feared that this unnatural gloom meant that Moshe died. The Satan spoke to them and said, yes, he died. At first they did not believe them. But then he showed them an image of Moshe being carried to heaven on a bier. Seeing this, they believed him. Realizing the necessity for a leader or leadership body who could transmit God's intentions to them, the people gathered around Aaron and said, Arise, make us substitute leaders who will channel God's message and lead us. Because regarding this man, Moshe, who led us out of Egypt, we do not know what had become of him. Now this was the eighth time the people challenged God's ability to come to their aid. They knew that God was going to command them to build a tabernacle, the central feature which would be an ark, and that he planned on communicating through the ark to, to Moshe. They imagined that if Aaron, the holiest person available to them in Moshe's absence, were to make a similar, properly constructed gold figure, this would express their desire for divine guidance, and God would indeed consent to communicate with them through this figure. Even though Moshe had already told, uh, Hashem had already told Moshe that it's forbidden to make a likeness of the cherubim, or the cherubs, the people had not yet heard this command because he had not come off of the mountain yet. Nonetheless, Aram sensed that it was not a good idea. So he said to them, remove the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. He hoped that the women and children who value their jewelry would not consent, at least not immediately, and this would delay matters until Moshe returned. But instead of asking their wives and children for the jewelry, all the men amongst the people immediately stripped themselves of the gold rings that were on their own ears and brought them to Aaron. Thus the woman played no part in this affair. Aaron took the gold from their hands, bound it in a cloth, and cast it in a fire. Then either the magicians amongst the mixed multitude that joined the Jewish people came and magically made the melting gold into a molten calf, or according to another tradition, Micha, which was the child that Moshe saved from being squeezed into the wall, if you remember that story, he threw the plate on which Moshe had written a divine name and the words, Aleishor, Aleishor, ascend ox, ascend ox, which Moshe had put in to get Joseph out of the ri river, the bones of Joseph. 
He threw it into the fire, and this transformed the melting gold into a molten calf. From another perspective, Aaron himself formed the gold into a calf using a molding tool. In either case, when the calf was fully fashioned, it magically came alive. Seeing this, the mixed multitude said, addressing the Israelite, This Israel is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Instead of relating to the calf as a substitute for Moshe, they treated it as a replacement for God himself, thus making it into an idol. Some of the Israelites were swept up in the fervor of the moment and participated in the sin as well. Miriam's son, Hur, started to point out to them that this was wrong, but the idolaters killed him. No one from the tribe of Levi worshipped the idol. Aaron saw that the calf had come alive and that it would be difficult to convince the idolaters that it had no supernatural powers. Furthermore, when he saw that the idolaters had killed his nephew, he understood that he could not dissuade them. His best chances were to delay any actual worship so Moshe could arrive in the meantime. Finally, he understood that it would be better that he assume responsibility for the sin rather than let the onus rest with the sinners themselves. So for all these reasons, he insisted that they let him build a calf an altar by himself instead of them building it together. This way he could tarry, constructing it as long as possible, and the onus would be mainly on him. They, they agreed, and he slowly built an altar before it. Aaron announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival for God. He hoped that Moshe would arrive imminently and lead them the next day in worshipping God using this altar. Thus, the actual idol worship was postponed to the next day. Knowing that Moshe would descend the, mount, descend the mountain before noon, the Satan woke up the people early. They woke up early the next day, the 17th of Tammuz. They brought offerings and peace offerings, the scent offerings to the calf. The people then sat down to eat and drink and then got up to revel. They indulged in forbidden sexual relations and this led to murder as well. God then spoke scoldingly to Moshe, go down the mountain and descend off the mountain, but also descend from your present spiritual level for the mixed multitude, your people, whom you brought up of Egypt, out of Egypt without consulting me, have become corrupt. Basically, we're talking about the mixed multitudes and have corrupted some of the Israelites. I elevated you to your present spiritual level only for the sake of the people. Now that they have become corrupt, your spiritual status will drop as well. And I must expel you from the heavenly court. They have been quick to turn away from the path I have commanded them to follow. They have made themselves a molten calf. They have bowed before it and have offered sacrifices, saying, This Israel is your God, who brought you out of Egypt. They credited it with all the miracles that I, God, did for them. God further said to Moshe, I have observed this people, and it is indeed a stiff-necked people. They do not accept rebuke easily, if at all. Therefore, now I only have one option. Let me be. I will display so much anger against them that I will destroy them entirely, even those who did not participate in this act. I will start over and make you and your descendants into a great nation in their stead. Moshe had not yet attempted to argue with God, but God intimated to him that if he would pray on the people's behalf, in other words, and he would not let God be, because God said, let me be, he would change his mind. So Moshe pleaded with God, and he said, Hashem, Lama as we read each on the fast days of the six fast days of the year, we read this, five besides Yom Kippur. God, I understand that those who committed idolatry deserve the death penalty, but why should you display such impetus, anger against your people, forcing you to execute the guilty without trial and wipe up the innocent as well? 
Why are you so jealous of a powerless, molten calf? The people know full well that you brought them out of Egypt with great power and mighty hand, not this calf. They have only been temporarily overcome by the excitement and the foolishness of the moment. Furthermore, why would the Egyptians be allowed to say he took them out of our country with evil intent to kill them in the mountains and to utterly eradicate them from the face of the earth? And why should the Egyptians be further allowed to say he took them out of our country when the evil star, Ra'ah, was ascendant going up, so it's no surprise they met his end. Why give them continued cause to believe in their astrologers? Withdraw from your display of indignation and renounce the thought of bringing evil upon your people. Finally, they're technically innocent. When you gave them the commandment not to serve idols, you phrased it in the singular, as in referring to me alone. Moshe, you should not serve idols. As for your idea of making my descendants into a great nation, a new nation, remember your servants Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who you swore by yourself, which is eternal, telling them, I will make your descendants as numerous as the star of the sky, and I will give you to your, the, your descendants this entire land that I promised, and they will inherit it forever. If you wish to execute them for transgressing the Ten Commandments, let the merit of Avram, who had not yet received his reward for passing the Ten Tests, counterbalance their demerits. If you wish to execute them by burning, let the merit of Avram who submitted himself to fire by ur for your sake, counterbalance this. If you wish to execute them by the sword, let the merit of Isaac who offered his neck at the Akedah counterbalance. If you wish to punish them by sending them to exile, let the merit of Jacob who fled to Haran in order to secure the continuation of the family line counterbalance this. But if the combined effort and merit of these three patriarchs cannot redeem the people, why should I think that if you wipe them out and make a new nation out of my descendants, my merit alone will be able to redeem them at some future time? As a result of Moshe's begging, Hashem renounced the thought of the evil that he had said that he would do to the people. He chose instead to only destroy the guilty and where possible to ascertain their guilt by due process of law. Hashem also determined how to prevent the Egyptians from bolstering their belief in astrologers. He decreed that the blood omen foretold by the star Re'ah would apply to the bleeding that would occur many years later when Joshua circumcised the Jews as they were about to enter the land of Israel. Interesting, the Jews were exempt from circumcising their newborn babies, boys, while in the desert because they had no way of knowing when God would require them to travel and it is dangerous to take an infant on a journey immediately after the circumcision. Moshe then turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand. The tablets were inscribed on both sides. That is, the letters were hewn all the way through from one side to the other. The middle of the samach, as you know, the samach is a round leather with a, with a circular middle, and the middle of the final mem were thus miraculously suspended in mid-ear. The tablets were God's handiwork, and the script was God's script engraved by God himself on the tablets. Joshua had pitched his tent at the foot of the mountain and had been waiting for Moshe for 40 days. Joshua heard the sound of the people ju uh, jubilating. So when Moshe met him on his way down, he said to Moshe, there is a sound of battle in the camp. Moshe said, it's not the triumphant sound of a victor nor the weakly sound of the, the defeated. It's rather a painful sound, the sound of blasphemy and cursing. that I hear. Until that point, Moshe, by the way, we're only about halfway through this aliyah, so we'll continue now in the next podcast.
پادکست